0: times call for desperate sheep imagine, share shears. Imagine what the share. sheep look like. God. <laughs> <laughs> this is quite literally my favorite part of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Brews and Tunes. I get excited every time with some of my best friends. I wow. if you're if you're just joining us, which you are, because I did hit the start stream button and I hit the record button and I synced up my audio if you don't hear the audio folks just let me know comment and say Corey you're an idiot and still don't know what you're doing that will be great uh, I'm sorry folks I, I apologize we were just talking about cutting uh sheep's wool with shears and it has a lot to do with tonight's show so I'm just kidding it Has <laughs> literally literally nothing to do with the show but ladies and gentlemen welcome tonight we are excited to talk about some really 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 fun stuff uh, we are pumped and pumped and pumped to have with us again, Jay Miglia from the Columbus Jazz Orchestra and a fantastic educator all around town. Jay, how are you doing? Hello, America. Hello,
1: I'm doing America. great, Corey. Thank you.
0: Well, good. I, I am very happy that you're doing great. Jay, I have a question. Is your uh, house underwater yet?
1: <laughs> no. Well, that's
0: good news. Not
2: yet. Do you mean,
1: do you mean financially
2: or? Uh, physically? <laughs> that that <laughs> makes one of us. Financially,
0: yeah, yes. Oh, sure. that, that makes one of us. What about you, Andrew Kowaleski, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we are joined by my good friend, Andrew Kowaleski. Back to Columbus. Back to Columbus. We're excited to have him. Andrew, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. It's good to be back home in the the big C bus. Uh, yep. yep. <laughs> That's pretty is it, good. Is it, is it really a bus? I'm pretty sure it's a boat outside. Well, it's a boat at your house. <laughs> it's a, thanks. For those of you who don't know, uh, among other things that happened today, I came home and there was water in my basement and it was awesome. And then realized that it's coming from a gutter that's gushing out. So to fix that, we got a giant <laughs> trash bin and we put that next to the gutter. And so approximately every 47 minutes I have to go outside and take the trash <laughs> bin down the road, and dump it out all 20 gallons. So that's why there's a
3: break of the show.
0: <laughs> that's right. In the middle <laughs> of the show, I have to conveniently go outside and empty the trash can filled the water. That's my favorite. It's awesome. Anyways. The joys of home ownership. <laughs> That's so true. Anyways, we are so happy you're with us this evening, folks. Uh, as always, this is Bruce and Tunes. My name is Corey Black, and I am your host. Uh, this show, I thank you, Jay. Thank, thank you. This show is uh, kind of a really cool idea. Uh, Andrew came to me uh, a week ago, really, with this idea, and I was pumped to, to do this and talk about kind of what classical music can learn from jazz, and I think also what jazz can learn from classical music. Um, just so everybody knows, on the, the Uh, you know, SoundCloud on the the podcast or the video stream or whatever. The three of us that are going to talk tonight are all saxophone players, um, among other things, but mainly saxophone players. And so know that whatever we do talk about is with the bias that we are all on the dark side of the Woodman family. Um, tonight, unfortunately, gonna, yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. We're going to start with our first segment, and our first segment is brought to you by Zaftik Brewing Company, which is proud to announce starting Thursday. That's right, this Thursday, they will open up their patio for you to enjoy beverages outside at the tap room. So we are excited for Zaftig awesome. to have that back. Uh, those of you who know, know us from I'm our, doing. exactly, exactly, <laughs> those of you who know us from our uh, Thursday brews and uh, playing tunes uh, live. Uh, we're going to work on that. We'll get that back to you at some point. Don't know when yet, but at some point. And so tonight we're going to talk about what beer we're drinking. And so I, as always, am repping a Zaftig beer, as you can see. This is the We Heavy. I don't know why I said it. That's not even a Scottish accent. That's a pretty bad accent. So, uh, the We <laughs> no, Heavy, which good. is a Scotch ale. It is delicious. Uh, it's not too heavy and not too light. That's kind of what a Scotch ale will give you. But as always with the Zaftig beer, it packs a punch. Before you know it, you've had 17 of them. All right, uh, Jay. What are you drinking with <laughs> us tonight? I'm still. I'm sticking with the traditional. I'm sorry,
1: the juicy Lucy. Mm. But I'm drinking it out of the classy Zaptic yes. mug again today. I don't know what this is. Not a mug. It's a snifter. A, 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 a snifter. sniffer. A sniffer. Snifter. It's a sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's. It makes it classy. Well. But the juicy Lucy's the way. I love IPAs. And they make a beautiful one, the, the Juicy Lucy. They make a couple good IPAs, but I love the Juicy Lucy; It's my favorite.
0: I'm with you. That was the first one that I ever enjoyed from them as well. And Andrew, what are you drinking with us tonight? So I'm very
3: sorry not to have a Zoftig beer today, so uh, okay. I'll get there. I'll get, them. I'll get them in my house very soon. Uh, but I've got a whole presentation. Corey and I talked about this. This is about an ASMR podcast. Um, I've got a Four Peaks Brewing Company glass and a Columbus Brewing Company IPA, the classic. <laughs> and I am about oh, to on camera yes. pour yes. this pour this beer into this glass and oh, then man. take a take a drink. Alright. Here it comes. Got, here come right. the authorities. You gotta have the right angle there, Andrew. You gotta have the right angle. There we go. Uh oh. Everyone's gonna make fun of how much head I've got now. <laughs> oh no. I did not do a very good job pouring this drink. I have too much head. (laughs) Uh, It was fine. It was fine.
0: It's perfect. Now now you've got the little foamy mustache that everybody wants when they they drink the beer. That's how it works. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, that segment again brought to you by Zaftig, our friends, and I like to call my family. You can visit them at their tap room starting Thursday. You can also visit their Italian village location, which we are excited about. Uh, they just started a brew pub oh, I shortly before. Actually, Andrew, you're really close to their Italian village location. So not that I know where you live, but I know huh. where you live. And uh, they started before this <laughs> pandemic, and we were all worried. But we are happy to see that back up and running. So if you're thinking about some takeout, consider ordering from them. All right. Segment number two, yeah. which is the meat and potatoes of our show. I'm trying to stick with those <laughs> accents with this beer. I just can't. I don't, I don't know. Uh, is brought to you by... Jazz Columbus. We are happy to be sponsored by jazzcolumbus.com. Fantastic website run by my good friends Alex Burgoyne and Zach Jones. They do a fantastic job. If you are looking for live jazz or just to hear what the jazz scene has in Columbus, check out jazzcolumbus.com. All right, guys. Well, I am excited to dive right into this. Uh, Tonight's topic is, you know, classical music. What can it take from jazz? What can jazz music take from classical? And so I want to start off right away talking about you know, I'm curious, uh, Jay, I'll start with you and we'll work our way around, but Jay, for you, I know, right? Um, did you learn jazz or jazz technique prior to doing uh, classical music? Or was it classical technique that kind of led you in the jazz direction?
2: Oh, uh, let's
1: see, um, I, I was taking like from six, from six, I started in sixth grade. So from about sixth grade on, I was taking private lessons. <clears throat> And, um, I think I might've like talked about this a little bit last week Yeah, that, um, on the radio, there was a lot of jazz where I grew up. I grew up in Detroit. There was a lot of like, we had a lot of good radio stations that played a lot of jazz, a lot of instrumental music, a lot of classical music and jazz. As a matter of fact, WDET. shout out to WDET, the public radio station there. Fantastic radio station. There was a fellow that played music in the afternoon. He would go from Jimi Hendrix to, you know, to Beethoven to, he just played what he liked. And
0: that's back when they like actually had disc jockeys that would like actually think about what yeah. they to put next. And he had free reign.
1: Yeah. It wasn't all, it wasn't all programmed. So he got to play whatever he wanted to play. And man, he, so, you know, so I, I, I had access to really good radio, but um, anyway, to go back, I'm kind of like taking the long way around. Sorry.
0: That's all right. We have Um, an hour to
1: fill, Jay. So I was I was taking uh, I was taking classical saxophone lessons. I mean, you could call them classical, but when you're a beginner, everybody sort of begins from the same place, you know. So I'm in the Rubank books and stuff like that, and uh, I just got hip to I got hip to jazz through the radio, and I started doing a lot of things by ear on my own, learning how to play in what you call it like a jazz style, you know. So I don't know, jazz. Kind of. My my goal was to be able to play Charlie Parker. Once I heard what Charlie Parker was doing, then I actually like brought it into my private lesson teacher and it was probably like maybe 11th grade or something like that. And I was like, I really want to learn how to do this too. Right. So right. I'm so learning, kind of I
2: was to- learning
1: and, like, like how to play jazz at the same time.
0: So you kind of had to learn and appreciate and listen to hear these things before you even wanted to explore them. So you kind of had to be open to what this idiom was before knowing how to go about it. Andrew, I'm curious with you. um, And for those who don't know, Andrew Kovaleski, fantastic saxophonist, just graduated from uh, Youngstown State, the Fighting Penguins, right? Am I right with that? That's it. Yes, that's it. Youngstown like, State. I don't know if we fight, but we are penguins. <laughs> and uh, Andrew, so and I, penguins. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew and I go way back, and uh, obviously being saxophoneists uh, in Columbus, uh, even before we got to college, we got to know each other a little bit in a few ensembles. But Andrew, I'm curious, man, for you, um, did you explore jazz after having prior <laughs> classical technique? Was it something that you wanted to go all in on? Was it... Something that you wanted to add to the side how, how did you first kind of get a get around to jazz
3: well so if i'm thinking about my like uh becoming a saxophonist or like deciding to pursue uh music and playing the saxophone as a as a <laughs> career or or as a as we like to call it, a hobby um, then uh, uh I guess in high school i was uh mostly in Marching band, basically, and I took lessons for some of high school, but I didn't really take lessons that much. I basically was, uh, uh, you know, any amount of classical playing that I was doing in high school was just for the OMEA solo and ensemble uh, contest. Wow. Uh, I went to Pickerington Central High School, um, and so I played in the jazz band, but I basically just did what my band director told me to do, uh, and that was what music was for me. Um, and then come into coming to Otterbein to do school. Um, uh, you know, I guess, uh, it seems like the, the, the basic thing you do is you learn classical is what it felt for me. It's like, Oh, well, I'm just going to play. I'm going to play vanilla. You know, I'm going to do what Jay Miglia says to do. I'm going to play the Haydn <laughs> diversion and I'm going to play Maurice Whitney's introduction in Samba. And I'm going to you know, play all this weird stuff. actually is. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, I remember the I remember the first like so I always kind of thought like when I was in high school I I had never really been exposed to combo jazz. It just it was something I never really listened to. Uh, I was only ever really in big band and I remember I went to the library and I knew that John Coltrane was like a figure but I didn't really know anything about yes. him and I listened to Blue Train yes. and I was expecting it to sound like Glenn Miller and I just <laughs> uh, was very wrong. <laughs>
0: That's quite and, uh, a jump, Glenn like, Miller to John what Coltrane. What the heck is
2: this? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I was like, is this jazz? <laughs> um, and uh, so,
0: but you know, I've I've uh, gotten better since then.
2: <laughs> <So>. Man,
0: <laughs> right, that is a jump. Glenn Miller to John Coltrane is. I'm similar to you, Andrew. Um, When I was growing up, I grew up, uh, Upper Arlington is where I went, and we, you know, had a really good concert band, worked on concert band music. I was studying classical saxophone and and private lessons, and I loved it, and I worked really hard, and I think what I loved was not necessarily the genre, but I loved just playing an instrument and feeling like I was accomplishing something, Um, and it wasn't really until sophomore, junior year of high school when I started to really jump into our jazz groups. And at the time at Upper Arlington, there were two groups. There was the Jazz Ensemble, which is the top show group that would actually learn um, kind of your your more difficult rep and really work on that. Um, And then there was our Jazz Lab, which is more traditional, like the college university kind of jazz approach um, in terms of dipping your feet into what jazz is and and feeling safe and learning that way. And so Jazz Lab is really cool because it allowed every instrument. You could be a bassoon, you could be a tuba, you could be a French horn. Um, and it taught improvisation. And so for me, um, obviously I started with the classical approach, but very quickly I jumped onto the idea of jazz and, and wanted to to learn it. And um, kind of one of the things that I wanna talk about tonight is kind of what I realized. I realized that to, to study jazz, you don't necessarily use the same approach that you do when you're studying classical music. And we'll get into a little bit of that, but I am curious um, what you guys think, because for my mind, and I think for a lot of musicians and music educators, people are saying, you know, you have to have basic technique to be able to go and play jazz music. And I think people have this misconception that that means you have to have classical technique. Jay, you were talking earlier about the idea of having like a beginning series of understanding notes and things like that. But I, mm-hmm. wanna, I wanna argue with you just for a second, just for a second, you're allowed to tell me I'm wrong. But, um, you know, I'm curious, I know, <laughs> I'm curious, is there a way that we could teach beginning band through the jazz lens? And I don't think that's something that has necessarily been explored before, right? If, if I teach you three notes, how can I teach you those three notes in the idea of jazz? Um, and so I'm curious, do you guys think uh, you need to have that understanding or classical technique for the first few weeks? Or do you think we can explore teaching those techniques and those ideas through a jazz, jazz lens? I, I I mean I don't know. Maybe it's just me being a music teacher, wondering this, but I think you guys might have some ideas. Um, uh, um, 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 uh, I swear, being a radio show host, I'm really bad at leading questions. I'm like, here's this giant idea. Now, synthesize.
1: That's a really yeah. That's a huge question, and um, uh, there are people that are more su- people that have actually thought about it that are um, definitely better suited to answer it than I. <laughs> 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 but, but how's that for another, yeah, right. a nice big caveat right there but the, um, but I, I would I would say like if we're going back to like you started off talking about technique and stuff, going back to like what lit me up first as a saxophone player was hearing people that really had tremendous technique. So it took me a while to and that's that's true for a lot of jazz music is that you're listening to it and you're hearing really, really high level instrumentalists you know you're really hearing people that are on a really high level so that that's that's one of the one of the reasons why maybe that we because our models are really tremendously gifted musicians and hard-working musicians you know so they've developed that but um you know it's uh i, I don't see any reason why we couldn't do something with beginners um teaching teaching jazz it's like it kind of comes down to the definition, you know. It's like, are we just are we teaching them swing, or are we teaching them improvisation? Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, there's like kind of two channels. It's like, sort of goes back to Glenn Miller, even like, not a lot of improvisation in Glenn Miller. Right. Not all. Right. Mm. A Lot of improvisation in Blue Train. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot. And so they're like those channels, you know. What do you want to emphasize? You want to emphasize the eyes, or you want to emphasize the ears? You want to emphasize the mm-hmm. swing or you want to emphasize, you know, so there surely there's a way to approach jazz for beginners, even,
0: right. you know, right. And that's and my I think there's, I, I wanna there, ask. There's an amount also, Oh, sorry. No, you're, you're good. Uh-oh. This is the great oh. part of zoom. Everybody who's watching Andrew. I I'm curious. And, and I'll let you continue your statement. I'm just curious because I know that you and I, when we have taught private lessons in the past, a large majority of our clientele are kids who have just started the instrument. And I don't know about you, but like, for me, I've always had kids that are like, I want to learn jazz now. And I'm curious, what's your approach, Andrew, when a kid, you know, a sixth grade band kid comes to you and says, I want to learn jazz now. What, what's your go-to? How do you, how do you tell that kid? Well, okay. But you need to learn your B flat major scale first or or something like that.
3: (laughs) Right. Well, that's, that is the tricky thing is that like, uh, you know, if you're, if you're teaching, uh, I guess I don't have a very specific example here, but the the hard part about the saxophone is that there is kind of a barrier of like, there's a certain amount of things you need to know just to make a sound, right? You can't, like on a piano, you could go up to it, you can press a key, you're going to make a sound. It's, if you can't make a sound on a piano, uh, you uh, (laughs) i 'm not going to go there um, no. but but for saxophone <laughs> yeah. Yeah, gravity yeah, yeah, that's probably it um, but for a saxophone, you really have to figure out like there 's all this embouchure thing, and there 's all these fingers that you have to figure out, and like uh you 're really not learning to express anything the first little bit that you 're playing the right. saxophone you're, you're you're like learning uh. Technician type things. How, how, do, how am I going to make this machine do what I want it to do? Right. And, there's a, and, and I, well, I, I listened to the podcast a couple episodes <laughs> ago, and you guys talked about the souls of the instrument. Yep. You know, it's, there's an amount that, beginning when you're, uh, when you're learning the saxophone specifically, uh, or clarinet or flute or trumpet, that you're just figuring out how to be a technician. Um, and I guess the question is that like, are you going to wrap that learning to be a technician on your instrument in a classical rapper, or are you going to wrap it in a, in a jazz rapper, you know, or like um, I think you could probably learn how to play uh, at least like the first five notes of your B flat scale in a way that uh, emphasizes improvisation if you really wanted to. Um, but another, another issue that you run into if you're in uh if you're in like a, a high school band is that you can't really do that with 200 people at the same time, uh, at least while producing something that sounds like something you want to hear. Um, and that, you know, maybe that's something like the, the, high ska- the high level organization of classical music is, I think, probably something that uh, contributes to its being the default in high schools,
2: its efficiency. Man.
0: I I love the way you put that. And I love the imagery of of wrapping your sound or wrapping who you are and the classical rapper or the the jazz rapper, yo, Uh, but (laughs) 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 thanks. I'm here all (laughs) the next hour at least. Um, The thing that I am, I, I I love Andrew is your idea of, you know, really, truly the mechanism. You have to learn the mechanism before you can appreciate or learn other concepts. And so for me, when I have a student who is in sixth grade or seventh grade that says, I really wanna learn jazz, I learned this, I heard this song, I really wanna play it. I go, that's awesome. Here's how we're gonna to get to that goal. We have to start with a basic, if you're gonna learn that song, you have to learn these notes. So let's learn these notes and let's go in that, that sense. Um, but I, I'm, I'm very excited about the idea of, for my own, selfishly, uh, for taking kids in and, and sixth grade beginning band and, and teaching them improvisational techniques from the beginning so that when we get to jazz band in middle school, they're not scared by that idea at all. It's in fact, it's something that kids are are flocking to go and do. And I think that's something that every beginning band teacher can kind of do and appreciate. Now, I think what's interesting about this topic of classical music and jazz music and kind of how it intercrosses or intertwines is the idea of the legends that we have and, and, and these artists that have laid down recordings before us and so I'm curious, Jay, when your mind goes to somebody who is very classically trained but made it as a successful jazz musician, who, who's, who's on your mind first?
1: Uh, well, Wynton Marsalis would be the first, yeah. I think. you know. That's what I was going to say. The man won a Grammy <laughs> for, I think, oh, I took your answer. I'm so glad <laughs> he asked me first. <laughs> Uh, what uh the uh, i mean i think I think he won Grammys for jazz and classical in the same year did, if yeah. I'm not mistaken but i mean his the, the, uh, the his class i mean his classical chops are you know irrefutably excellent where but what's interesting too, this is maybe another can of worms, so maybe I shouldn't open it <laughs> no, which
2: another
1: is an, isn't it and it's an odd idiom opening a can of worms. <laughs> Yeah, um, who, who'd you get that can of worms from? No, who cans worms? Um, <laughs> Branford Marsalis put out a classical recording also. So Branford did that too, but not met with as high a regard among classical saxophone players as like Wynton. So that, you know, there's just, a, there's just, there's a kind of a thing there, I think, like what is acceptable as classical music, sound-wise you know, and, uh, you know, articulation wise and all the other things that go into like a perfect, beautiful classical performance, uh, went really has that thing on the trumpet, you know, so, Mm -hmm. but is it, so is it easier to do that on the trumpet? Is it easier to cross over on the trumpet than it is on the saxophone?
2: Yeah.
1: I don't know.
0: I'm curious. I don't know. So that's another thing. That's another thing
1: entirely, but it just made me think of it.
0: Right. It's funny if that we win. wanted
3: to make this the classical saxophone podcast, I'm sure we could dig into this really, <laughs> really, really deeply. Yeah, uh, but I don't know if anybody
0: wants to do the classical saxophone podcast. Brought to you podcast. by Andrew Kowalewski and <laughs> yes. the Classical to
1: saxophone to podcast. <laughs> at
3: 7:30, I have to go to the classical saxophone <laughs> podcast. Somewhere. I love it. I love it. I would we'll so, have to get uh, Barry Carcroft over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke that's funny if you're a classical saxophonist but probably yeah, right?
2: not if you're
0: not so <laughs> anyways um jay i think it's funny that you brought up witten though because he goes back to my first question did Wynton learn classical chops or growing up with ellis did he learn jazz or do you learn both at the same time and i would love to be a young Wynton marsalis and what he was going through to figure that out i mean
1: you're right it's like what which what's the chicken and what is the egg right? Right.
0: right exactly he grew up in that household
1: with uh you know an extremely gifted uh jazz musician in the family did did dad push him into lessons right away right. where he was doing classical i really don't know right but um i, I don't i don't know, <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> well andrew you and i had this kind of kind of conversation earlier on this week i was talking about a specific musician but um this so dave brubeck right his group he incredibly classically trained pianist an insane musician insane composer in fact today i was listening to time out again and i needed to take some time out uh but uh it that album i mean is such a mix of ideology from classical music and jazz music mixed together the idea of complex meter the idea of Kind of uh, not a truly improvised solo, but an improvised solo that's based around classical ideas, I think, and a lot of that music. And so you and I talked about Paul Desmond, Andrew, and you know, for for me, I know that you're you're 100 a a classical musician. You're also a jazz musician. You're also a pop musician. All sorts of things. But for me, I know that I gravitated towards Paul Desmond because that's all I had learned was classical music from the start. Um, you know, what do you think Paul Desmond kind of brings to the table in terms of his sound? Would you, would you find some common characteristics of classical saxophone and Paul Desmond sound? Or do you think maybe not so much?
3: Hmm. Uh, again, if we want to make this the classical saxophone Andrews, <laughs> Yeah, Andrew. podcast, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, I think, what, I mean, so I've spent most of my Paul Desmond listening, listening to this album that, I got it at the Otterbein thrift store. Uh, they had a uh, Dave Brubeck live at Storyville. Uh, it's the 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 album artwork is like it looks one of those ones that looks like a newspaper. Uh, anyways, um, and so I've listened to that album a lot. And something that the whole lot of them do uh, throughout that album is it's clear that they're listening to at least the greatest hits of classical music because they just keep quoting all these like. Uh, mm. Uh, there's you know like uh, I I remember Paul Desmond uh, does a uh, I don't I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sing it because it's not gonna be (laughs) worth it but uh, you know he does some kind of like minor minor thing from a symphony uh, and uh, then I you know they're doing all these like uh, like just like very straight scales and thirds and things that are really just like uh, just like it sounds very classical the way that they're doing it Um, and like the, I don't know, it's, it's, it seems like it's like a, a jazz musician who listens to a lot of classical music is what I think of when I listen to Paul Desmond and less so like a, like a classical musician, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that definitely makes sense. And I, I think that it's, I'm, I'm very curious as to how they marketed themselves to audiences when they were around because I, I am curious if their, their approach was, hey, there is this great group of people who are listening to classical music who may have refuted jazz entirely from the start and you know claim it's devil's music and it's, it should not be allowed, it's not the right stuff. Um, but I'm curious if they marketed themselves with that music in a way that put them up for success with a larger group of audience members. Um, And I don't know. So I, I mean, Brubeck was the first that came to my mind just because he's classically trained, but his music is, is heavily influenced by that. Um, so I, and I think it's interesting, Jay, that you brought up Wynton because Wynton, you know, is, is this, he's on Mount Rushmore of, of jazz musicians, of musicians in general and what he represents. Um, and I'm just curious if, if classical music has this draw that jazz music has, and we'll get into that in the next part of this segment, but it's time to interrupt your broadcast, to bring you a special announcement. This is great, guys. Look, I've got more commercials now. It's like I've pre-planned the commercials. <laughs> I'm excited. Well, I thought you were going to empty the rain barrel. No. <laughs> Listen, some people so drink out of that, But I am going to interrupt our show for a brief second to let everybody know who is watching now that there is, again, uh, Zavtick is opening up their uh, outside area at their tap room. And as always, we are sponsored by Zavtick and we like to to sponsor them right back and tell you what you can be doing or, you know, not missing out (laughs) on. Um, I think it's really crazy during this world that we live in right now because we're so isolated. And I think the idea of being able to see other people in a safe way, in a very safe way, as I know those people will do, is, is exciting. Um, so with that brief commercial, uh, we have to pause so that I can go empty my rain barrel out. And then we will, you think I'm joking. Uh, there's actually gonna be a live stream video of me running down the street with the rain barrel. and running <laughs> Yeah, around. I can't wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> running bad. So folks, we will be right back. Uh, here's a short brief break brought to you by Rain. as you are waiting everybody we will be back in just a minute just want to remind you again if you have not already made plans to head to zaftig you want to do that to get your newest beverage for the next few weeks and again we are sponsored by the great jazz columbus Uh, If you are interested in live jazz or seeing what jazz has to offer in the community, make sure you check out jazzcolumbus.com. They are a lot of fun to listen to and to read and a lot of awesome artists around town publish some great content on there. So you want to check that out. We'll be back in just a second all right jay migley is back with us this is good andrew is making his way back to us here very shortly sorry about that break there folks i did sprint and i made it back thank god uh, <laughs> as you can see i uh, or maybe you can't see because my video is not on there it is as you can see my <laughs> hair is a little wet and uh, <laughs> it is- It is entertaining nonetheless. So Jay, you and I, Andrew Andrew will be here in a second with us, but Jay, you and I and Andrew were talking and discussing about, oh, there he is. Look, he's back. This is great. We were discussing the music of Brubeck and Desmond and kind of these, these classical musicians that bring the jazz approach or vice versa. And so my question now, and the topic that I want to focus around now is practice. Um, both you and Andrew are great saxophonists, both in the classical and in the jazz world. And I, and I think that's amazing first off, to be able to pull off some of those pieces that you guys play both in the jazz and classical music is, is awesome for me as a a fan to listen to. Um, but you know, do you think Jay, and then I'll hear from Andrew too. Do you think that like the context matters so much when you're practicing? Like if you're practicing classical music, you need to know That you're going to practice for the next hour classical music because you're going to set up your practice session in a way. Or do you think that, you know, when you're practicing both jazz and classical music, you're using the same warm-up, same strategies, and things like that. What is there a difference to you between the two when you go to practice?
1: This is hard.
0: Hey man, I'm here to ask all the hard questions. If you didn't notice, I run the podcast, so I don't have to answer them. I just have to ask them it's very convenient for you.
1: It's just, I, I just, I, I, I know maybe it's just because I'm a saxophone player, but, and, yeah. and because I do, because I try to do a respectable job in both idioms that, um, and also whatever I'm playing, if I'm playing in a, in a, in a wedding band, I try to be the best rock and roll saxophone player I can be too, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I kind of like think of music as just like a continent, uh, like a continuum, you know, That's and I'm, I'm just like, moving along this continuum and right now I'm here and right now I'm here. So it's when you're asking a question like that, that's because sometimes I'll, I'll practice, you know, um, I can practice something like long tones. I can practice overtone, the overtone series or something. And that crosses over both of them. Yeah, definitely. But there are there are times when it's like when I'm just like, so I guess with uh, trying to get to the core of an answer. Sorry, Corey.
0: No, you're fine.
1: If, if I'm like technical things. And things about voicing on the instrument and things like that. I mean, things that are sort of physical about the instrument, like Andrew said, like mechanical things. For me, they 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 go everywhere.
2: Oh. They transcend.
1: They're all along that continuum. But as far there are aspects of tone and things like that that are strictly classical, mm-hmm. and those are the things when I'm pra- when I'm practicing classical, I will I'm I'm focusing very intently on tone. Um,
3: and when that's I'm, not to say that, that you don't think about tone when you're playing jazz, though, yeah, right? It's just yeah, a different that, kind of thing. Too.
1: That's true, too. But for me, it's more... Um, mm. For me, just for me, I have to think more about, pl- about producing a good classical tone, mm-hmm. which I don't think I have for the last several years. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I, because I play like, I'm, you know, I'm just too everywhere. So when I come down to playing like really classical music and I want to be the best classical player I can, that, the problem is for me, it's only happening for a short segment of time mm-hmm. because I have something coming up and I have to do it. So mm-hmm. I, and it's difficult to produce a good classical saxophone sound. It's, there's a different musculature for me than when I'm playing jazz, because when I'm playing jazz, my best sound is when I'm very relaxed, when like very relaxed
2: Mm -hmm. from my pressure down to
1: my chest you know um and when I'm playing with a good classical sound I'm not as relaxed there's a difference in the voicing and some some people may have a different approach but for me when I get my best saxophone sound it's more centered and um you know and 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 I just I can't I don't have and I just have like a more. Uh, it's, I have to. I have to be more careful about producing that yeah. sound. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 my answer anyway. So and yeah.
0: You you brought up the idea of you have to be relaxed, and so I'm curious, Andrew, when you're when you're playing, you know, because I know that you've been studying nonstop lately, classical saxophone and playing, you know, uh, violin music on saxophone. When you're playing that music, do you feel relaxed when you're practicing that, or is that also a very kind of really in focused kind of ingrained music that you have to be so on top of your game for. Hmm. Uh,
3: I think it's a little bit of like both of those things. Uh, It's kind of like, uh, like yoga. Uh, I don't know how much you guys get into yoga, but I feel like. Clearly uh,
1: a lot right here. I can see uh, it.
3: Look at that that range of motion. (laughs) Wow. Look at that. He's got almost 180 degrees there. (laughs) For our podcast audience, Jay just flexed his arm. (laughs)
1: because
3: i don't Very have a excited. bicep to get in the way <laughs> <laughs> i used to do insanity do you guys know those workouts yes videos? And, i was a p90x uh, guy yeah the, uh, the guy sean t he he was doing a stretch and he and he couldn't stretch as far he said i can't stretch that far but it's because my muscles are so big <laughs> 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 uh, and so anyways uh, glad yeah. i glad yeah. i got us there um but uh You know, for so in my process of being in grad school, uh, I went through a long period of time where it was like, man, I got to make this classical sound, but I got to use so many muscles to do it. And it's really hard and I don't have them. Uh, And I I just had to, you know, spend a lot of time developing musculature, just like you're saying, Jay. And after developing the musculature so that I'm at a place where I can comfortably do the things that I need to do. I'm able to be relaxed when I'm playing. And now I'm at a point where I'm kind of in the opposite position that you're talking about, Jay, where now I'm having to, uh, in my my, uh, post-grad life, I've uh, come upon a couple of uh, pop tracks that people have asked me to make. Uh Just adding saxophone to things, and you know okay. it's definitely a very different kind of uh embouchure to you know just like uh shred some pentatonics uh over like <laughs> mac DeMarco uh than <laughs> than it is to you know play uh absolutely Tumon. Uh and so when I so when I play the my jazz setup, I put my Morgan on and I put my my uh V sixteen, my mouth is just mm. like, I have no idea what to do right now. Uh <laughs> right. And, right. and I get exhausted of that in the same way that it sounds like you're getting exhausted uh right. with the classical. It's all just about what you're practicing. And you can reach this point where where you can tense only the muscles that are necessary for like the maximum efficiency. Of, uh, of what you're
0: doing so that you can be as relaxed as possible. Uh, I, so I find that incredibly uh, interesting to see both aspects of this. It, it truly depends on what you're spending most of your time with. And Andrew, when you were saying that, it, it, it brought a lot back to me about working out, like just working out in general. Definitely. You know, for, so for people who are listening, I, I ran a half marathon this past um, March. And oh, nobody do only that, a half, you <laughs> sissy. Listen, I just, you know... You know, know. (laughs) I almost died afterwards, but it's fine. Um, But you know, when you're learning to run and you're training yourself to run, the first mile is always ridiculously hard. Then it's the second Mm -hmm. mile that's ridiculously hard for like three weeks straight. And so to me, I'm relating this to the way that you guys are talking about when you're relaxed and whatnot, because when I got to the half marathon, finally, when I was at like mile 10, I was like, ah, it's just three more miles. It's not a big deal. Right, But for me sitting here now, I haven't I haven't run more than probably five miles in the past, I don't know, month, and I can't fathom that again because I haven't trained <laughs> my body to get there. And it right. seems like a daunting task. But for me, it's just really interesting to hear both sides of it and that you both kind of relate to what you're working on is kind of how it runs, how comfortable you feel in, in both areas. Um, so I had this experience the other day. I was practicing uh, jazz um, transcription. And I was using a metronome and I was like, man, I'm just not getting this. I'm just not getting this. And I was trying and trying and trying. And then I thought, you know what? I should probably switch to just hearing a harmonic progression underneath it instead. And that changed for me how I approached kind of practicing a lot of these transcriptions and things. Even if I slow the backing track down, I find when I'm studying jazz music, I can connect and work better at a lot of those passages using like a harmonic structured background. I don't know, have you guys ever had that experience where you're working on a, a tune or working on a transcription of something and you say, okay, I, I, the metronome's just not cutting it for me. I need the rest of the band backing it just because of that genre. Have you guys ever experienced that or kind of had anything similar? Good, dead space. I love dead <laughs> space. This is my favorite. This is why I'm so good at this show.
1: Oh, uh, well, dude, <laughs> You're asking important questions, you know? <laughs> That's, it, I don't know. For, I, I mean, the, some things are really personal. Like the way people practice things can be very personal. What works for one person yeah. is not necessarily going to work well for the other. Um, for me, uh, if I can play and get excited about what I'm playing, if I'm doing like you're talking about a transcription specifically, if I'm excited by the transcription I'm playing yeah. and I'm just playing with a metronome, then I must really have it you know mm. in my heart not just in my hands you know mm-hmm. what i mean because i can hear the whole thing going on i can hear what max is what max roach is doing right there but a boom yeah um, and monk is going Clunk, right at this spot you know you can hear like the whole thing in your head or something like that you know that's like and then the gift like the payoff for all that hard work with the metronome is that you play it with the recording. So for me, it's kind of the, op- it's almost the, I don't want to say the opposite, no, but it's yeah. just a different, it's a different way. It's like, for me, it's like I, the hard work, the weightlifting, the working out part is playing it with a metronome and being as excited about it and bringing as much spirit to the performance as when I'm
0: like playing it with the recording,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I guess, is that, is that like...
0: Yeah, no, That that... <laughs> That answers my question. That, that was it. That's all we have to talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. I've been drinking. We all have. You're not supposed to. <laughs> this is the secret of the show, everybody. I get these people on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get them to drink alcohol, and the next thing you know.
3: <laughs> but I definitely think it's like uh, – you know, Sorry, Andrew. I, I think it, I think of the metronome as like, – uh, I use it more as a tool, uh, like – Like for speeding up and slowing down, like if I can play something at not the original speed, I'd say it will definitely help me uh, to be able to play it at the original speed with more facility. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I do a lot of when I'm using a metronome, like uh, uh, breaking breaking up uh, into breaking up rhythms. So like instead of four sixteen notes, maybe you'll have one dotted eighth note and then three real quick notes. Um, And for me, that's uh i use that metronome more as like a uh
0: like a yardstick to help me uh with my uh technique yeah that's a good i one. like that I, and that's what every student says to me they say i hate this because i'm not good with the metronome well you're right. not good uh, with the metronome right your technique's not where it should be so yeah, that's every why he says that yeah i'm we one of them the right here the right the metronome. Here. point a, a.
1: Metronome messes me up man.
2: i do <laughs> <want> the <laughs> metronome not too sure. accurate <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, Andrew, you were saying something about performance and that made me think about the next part of the show that I wanted to hit. And I think you would have some good ideas and content on this, but um, do you notice a big difference? And and I think mainly because you have done a lot of classical music lately, and so you can kind of speak to both audiences because you're also adverse into jazz. But do you think there's a difference in the way that an audience member perceives classical music and the way that an audience member perceives jazz music and I'm not saying you know obviously it's dependent on who's in the audience but I'm saying generically you know overall generally do you think that there's a difference in ways that audience perceive both genres? I think
3: each of them have like a, a culture that surrounds them and that culture is going to define the way that uh, the music is received and I'll, I guess speaking towards live music it's 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 definitely different when you're listening to recorded music but you know if you're if you're seeing a live Uh, let's say chamber music concert Mm -hmm. nobody's going to be talking you're not going to be chatting while the chamber music's happening because there's this culture that you're not supposed to do that Uh, Mm -hmm. just in whether that's right or wrong whether you like it whether you don't like it that's the culture that exists already Um, maybe it's different if you're listening to chamber music in a cafe Uh, I think that's probably just like a different thing but if you're going to a concert um, that has chamber music usually there's going to be this idea that you have to listen to it in this particular way. And in the same way, if you're listening to a jazz combo, all the live jazz combos I've seen in Columbus, for the most part, have been at bars. Um, or, you know, I'll, I will go to Zoftig, I'll go to, I'll go to Brothers Drake, I'll go to, I don't know, some other place that has jazz. Um, and there'll be a whole crowd of people sitting there drinking, and also there's, there's jazz um and (laughs) there's kind of just focus (laughs) well well and even if it is for you there's like it's it's in some way culturally acceptable for there to be other noise happening um but it's also different uh if you go to like the cjo there's something that maybe exists somewhere in the middle where you're expected probably not to be chatting during the whole thing but there's a certain amount of you know like being excited and applauding that can happen in the middle of the Performance, um, and so I just think that whatever kind of uh, whatever kind of performance you're going to see is going to have the set of like expectations for how you're supposed to listen to it. Hmm. Um, and uh, you know, maybe there's room for uh, for you to take the music from one kind of thing and put it in the other box. Again, with our rappers here, uh, you know, if, if you're if you take jazz music and you play it in a way that you present it as classical music, you might end yeah. up with a reception that's similar. To that, and if you take classical music and you play it at a bar um, and wrap it up like jazz music, you might get a reception that's more similar to the way you're going to be received as a combo.
0: And I think that that's where it lies. That is interesting to me because I I love classical music. I think there's this a lot of people who know me think there's no way this guy is into classical music and doesn't enjoy playing classical music, and it, that is so far from the truth. Like the other day, I was working on a Bach piece just because I love the music, but I'm so interested in reviving the audience in chamber music and classical music. I think there's this this misconnection between what jazz music brings with the audience members is like this idea of interacting with the audience. There's a lot of opportunity for interaction with the audience whereas classical music doesn't have that. And so Jay, when you're playing in in a jazz context, do you notice a more um it's well I guess it's interesting because Andrew you're stating, you know, when you're at a bar or whatnot people are talking while this music's going on but are they still listening yes but who's listening more the people at the bar or the people who are at the classic you know concert hall i'm curious and jay have you ever had that where you're in a a jazz setting and you feel like you actually have less audience listening than you would if you were performing box partita on saxophone in front of (laughs) high school kids no offense i'm not offending anybody i love that music i'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, and I I
3: well, I'm gonna jump in now because yeah, I, oh, I see oh, some hesitation. Here we go. Uh, you know, I think what the amount that, that your audience is listening. I mean, they're already there. Does it really matter? Right. <laughs> I mean,
1: cover charge.
3: Well, well, and, and even if they're there and they're enjoying their time, but they're not listening that much, but they're getting a good experience out <laughs> of it. You know, right. like You're right. You're right. I, that's fine by me. I don't really care if if as long as. <laughs> if my music's doing something for you and you're, and, and you're happy about it, that's fine. There, there's, you know, you can get up and you go, Oh, well, you know, like these guys aren't actually listening, They, you know, they don't know what listening is. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's, it doesn't really matter. It's everyone's got their own ex- walk in life and they can do whatever <laughs> they want. I mean, I know that like, if I think about, I always relate when I think about a, uh, normies, non-musicians, I think about like, I imagine like my brother or my mom listening right. to my music, you know, right. it's like, like, probably other than me playing music, my brother has barely talked to a live actual musician, you know, and let alone like, like thought critically about the music that he's listening to, uh, just because it's not that's not the, the function of music in his life. It's, you know, it's usually something's background for him, If for him. That's fine. And you know, I don't care. He can live his life that way. So yeah.
0: I guess that's the good part about music is that it is what it is to whoever it is. And, you know, it doesn't have to be more, but sorry, Jay, go ahead.
1: No, no, no. It was like, just, I love that Andrew used the word culture. You know, it's what, what a person is acculturated to is, you know, how they receive a a performance. It's kind of cool for all of us being saxophonists and having whatever, um, you know, experience we've had in like saxophone quartets. I love that as a genre. saxophone quartet can really transcend just about any other or i should say as an idiom as like an instrumentation it can transcend and transcend a lot of genres and it's it's always fun for me whenever um whenever my saxophone quartet uh, uh, shout out to the black swan saxophone quartet wherever you are wherever you are um when we we can play a very traditional program um or we can play a jazz oriented program or we can play something my favorite programs are always the ones that sort of sort of like span that
2: yeah like i said yeah.
1: continuum before it's the same idea i love that in my own performances where it, there can be some kind of a continuum i think those are the most interesting performances for people who are acculturated to traditional music um, traditional classical music that is acculturated to popular music acculturated to jazz acculturated to whatever their like listening trends are you know right. um i think the saxophone just to get back to the saxophone is so well suited to doing that sort of thing and we sort of thrive in that middle yeah. you know yeah. we can do the most challenging we can produce the most challenging challenging sounds you've ever heard Definitely. Um, and then we can yeah absolutely but i mean even for other saxophone players are like oh for god's sake <laughs> um, but, but we can make the most the, the purest you know violinish sort of beautiful sounds also you know so it's like the saxophone is such a wonderful instrument in that way we can live in so many different fields and um and i i, I love that about the instrument i don't know if that's like Something that's kind of answering your question, but yeah. it's like when i when when I'm sometimes to go back to the original question, Corey, sometimes I'll be at Dick's Den and playing and the room is louder than the band. Yeah. And um and it just doesn't matter. You come off the stand and they're like, I love what you played. You know, Oh, you sound amazing. You're, you're awesome. I didn't know you could play like that. I would get that from some people. I would get, you know, I don't know. I've never heard you play like that. You know, somebody who's only heard me in some, some other context, I don't really could do that, you know, or whatever. That was
3: terrible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Never. never but You
1: don't even think they're listening, but at at some, on some level, they're, they're absorbing what's going on in the bandstand and they're living it. They're living it their own way. So well,
0: you both, and, and it's that. wonderful in a classical
1: kind of. Well, I'm totally capitalizing on all the time. No, but it's so cool when you go to like you're doing like a classical performance for people. Like going back to the Black Swamp again, the saxophone quartet. We're playing. A, we're a classical saxophone quartet, <laughs> and then we hit them with some a Jelly Roll Morton piece. Yeah. Um, or we hit them with the uh, we hit, we were, for a while we were playing a Joe Lovano thing that was really edgy. Um, we were doing Philip Glass so you hit them with something that they just aren't expecting and the classical audiences are very quiet but when they when you're done they're so receptive they're like oh i i had no idea the saxophone could sound that way i'm so pleasantly surprised and wow the glass piece is really compelling you know or the you know you get like they're quiet as clams but you know but at the right. end of it they're like just they were very into it you know yeah anyway
0: I, I love that both of you hit on the fact that oh there goes Jay he's gone he's gone. I figured I said plenty I'd said enough <laughs> <laughs> I I you know I love that you're both hitting on the fact that you know it's cross genre it's cool and, and I love that hopefully someday I go to a college recital and a college student has a classical saxophone piece a jazz saxophone piece and a pop saxophone piece because I mean if you think about the classical literature that we have yeah it's classical literature but it spans multi genres inside the classical literature. And so my hope is that years down the road, we can start seeing some of that uh, appear, which I think would be really, really cool. So I have an idea, and I want to know what your thoughts are about this idea. Boy Um, (laughs) Uh Oh, Um, That was my idea, okay. You know, (laughs) the world that we live in, especially the state of Ohio, is so huge on adjudication and adjudicated events. And I think a lot of our, our youth, our middle school, high school students are so geared towards performing a piece that is on a, an adjudicated events list. And so I, I want to start the push of, of making sure that jazz is in there. And I want to start the push to have a jazz adjudicated event, solo and ensemble. Um, you know, I, what are your thoughts on that guys? Do you think that jazz definitely has a repertoire list that could be compiled and that that can exist do you think that we can accurately adjudicate kids um on some sort of ranking system in jazz or do you think well you're talking about improvisation how do you how do you adjudicate a kid's improvisational idea you know i i'm curious on what you guys have to say and both of you're looking at me like i need more time to think about this you jerk why are you bringing this up now but i don't know anyone want to go first rock paper scissors Uh i'll I'll jump i'll jump in with Jeco,
1: um the jazz education connection of ohio is an organization that started a few years ago um and when i was when i was an officer in that organization that was one of our primary pushes was to make 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 jazz events part of the omea um under that omea umbrella of events you know um and it was not it wasn't out of the question, but it was also not exactly, uh, embraced. Hmm. So you, if you really want to push that, um, contact the folks at JECO because they Zach Compton is one of the officers. Now I think he's VP. Yeah. Um, and, uh, miles. Oh, darn it. I've lost miles. last name. Um, but the, the, the shoot, I feel bad now. I've, I hope he's not watching. Oh, um, but he's the, um, he's band director, I think at Bell Fountain. Um, oh, okay. uh, darn it. And I've lost his last name, oh, his last name. but, um, uh, but, 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 but that's, it's still a push for jazz education connection. They still want to do that. And it's still a very active organization. So JECO, um, anybody who's like checking this out is a good organization. If you want to endorse that kind of a thing and get behind that organization, they're pushing for the same thing.
0: Yeah. Andrew, would you have, and I know my answer, but I'm curious about your answer. Would you have pursued that as somebody who wanted to achieve as, as much as you could on saxophone in high school and, and into college? Would, was that something that you may have been open to?
3: Uh, Yeah, I probably would have. I didn't know anything about improvisation when I was in high school Uh, and, you know, maybe if that existed, I would have learned something about improvisation in high school, which would have been really interesting. Now, I also, when I was in high school, was doing a clarinet and flute and saxophone piece at uh, all of the OMEA (laughs) ensemble, solo (laughs) and ensemble things because... Not uh, together
0: at the same time, though. Your ensemble was not (laughs) you playing every instrument. Yeah, so, you know... Although that would have been awesome
3: maybe that would have been something that uh, you know would have just uh, spread me even more thin uh, and I would have just been worse at each of the individual things that I was doing or even worse than I already was Uh, I mean you guys have heard me play the flute before Uh, (laughs) your flute playing is much better than mine that's all I have to say about that so you know but yeah I mean I definitely think I would have benefited from that as a high schooler so
0: yeah and so what do you guys think let's just Toy with the idea that this is a thing. let's just say it's a thing tomorrow. it becomes a thing. and we the three of us have to set out the exactly yay, the three of us have to set out the guidelines on on what a student has to bring. What do you think? Do you think it's fair to ask a student to improvise? Do you think a class A solo should be a jazz transcription plus improvising over it? Do you think that a Class B solo could be just a lead sheet plus improvisation and a Class C is just a lead sheet? I mean I I don't know. Let's just pretend that we live in the world that adjudicating jazz for students is a thing. How do we come up with the the parameters of that? What do you guys think is fair? I think you could probably... uh, I I would bet
3: that you could ask any... Any musician to improvise. Uh, who, who am I? I'm, I'm Jamie Javersalt. Uh, you know, anyone can improvise, right? You know, uh, but I think
0: it's true. Uh, and, uh, Shout out to Amy. I, Jamie uh, is real good to, because the to first Amy Jabersalt. Amy Jabersalt. <laughs> 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 the first episode that we had, we said some choice words about Jamie Abersalt, and I felt very bad about that afterwards. So shout out, Jamie. Just let me know. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess
3: I, I guess I didn't listen to that one. I don't know what choice words were said, but <laughs> I, you know, I guess I'll be the first on the podcast to say that I buy into a lot of the things that Jamie Abersalt says. Yes. Uh, and you know, I've I've got like five uh, five of his books sitting on my sitting on my counter right here. Here it is, the the big one: How to Play yes. Jazz and Improvise. You know. Um, and, uh, but so, you know, you could ask a, if you teach a, a sixth grader how to play a, a D Dorian scale, you know, then they can, a D Dorian scale and then a, an E flat Dorian scale, they can play so what, you know, yep. and uh, as long, and all they got to do is know which chord they're on, which is harder than it seems sometimes, as <laughs> you guys know, um, but, uh, you know, they'll be able to figure it out. Uh, and you know i i think probably just like increasing complexity is what you'd end up doing with the class the class things and then uh for as far as adjudicating you'd probably want to be looking at things like uh like articulation uh i mean you could probably just take the same list of things that you look at say. for the classical stuff and yeah. it, it maybe less accuracy uh but you know maybe not maybe accuracy is you know hitting chord tones on one and three right. uh you know maybe accuracy is uh you know, playing—you uh, know, playing scales that uh, are at least somewhat related to the chord that you're that you're improvising over. Um, yeah. And you know, maybe you maybe you get. Uh, three minutes afterward to defend your scale choices.
2: Uh, <laughs> 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 the 15
0: minute solo and ensemble experience where you're in the room and you're sweating and you're nervous is all get out. You have to defense. back it up.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. defend, defend your solo.
2: Yeah. I love that.
3: Uh, no, but I mean, especially if you're talking about like a 16 year old, like, yeah. yeah, you're probably gonna have some 16 year olds who are going to do some crazy stuff, but uh you know, probably it's just looking at: Are they going to play a mixolydian scale over their five, over their five sevens? Are they going to play a Dorian scale over their minors? Are they playing Ionian over or or You know, uh, one of them over their major sevens. Uh, and uh, if they can do that and hit the chord tones on one and three and have have articulation, have style, uh, make it clear that they're listening to jazz, then I give them a one. You know i mean I've, I've seen people get ones for
0: a lot less uh in the classical world so i'm pretty sure i got a one once because i finished the glasnov and i was drenched in sweat And the judge said i never knew that playing saxophone made someone sweat so much and then i was like case. what, is that? what does that what does that mean sir am i am got, i good to walk out of this for, room <laughs> a one for wetness <laughs> Really, it was a two, but the drops of sweat got on the paper to smudge it. <laughs> this
3: is how it works. There you go. Well, to
0: bring, it, to bring it full circle, I think the things we're talking about with uh, adjudication can be met for jazz, but because of the fact that students have these techniques practiced uh, before they even started learning jazz. So I, I think this whole show is talking about how one goes into the other as the other goes in, into the one. And so jazz can, can take... Ideas and take practices and take techniques away from classical music training, but classical music can also use these same ideas to kind of keep it fresh and going as well. And so, I think this idea of, of jazz adjudication is something that, for me, is a no-brainer. I mean, if kids are already learning basic technique, why not challenge them to also learn in this extra subgenre? So, anywho, I can yeah. talk to you guys for like days. I wish. I wish we could. <laughs> You know what? We should do the classical saxophone podcast. Uh, folks, if you're watching right now, uh, we're going to take a brief break so that I can take the rain barrel back out to the street. And when I come back, we're going to talk about the Creston. No, I'm just kidding. Be- uh- <laughs>
2: okay. well, hey,
0: I'll are- do it. <laughs> I know you would. I know you would. <laughs> i telling you, Andrew, there's there is a way you should do it. Um, We are getting into our last segment, and again, we are sponsored by Jazz Columbus, jazzcolumbus.com. If you've not checked it out, there are a lot of great articles on there written from musicians who are maybe, uh, you know, part-time jazz enthusiasts but also have another day job or sometimes written by Columbus Jazz Orchestra members. It's it's a wealth of knowledge, and Zach and Alex do a great job of keeping that up to date. So thank you for sponsoring us and and for promoting us. I appreciate that. And that leads us to our final segment, which is the tune of the week. And I'll go to you, Andrew first, because I like your your first one makes me really excited. And folks who are listening, again, I've got better because I figured out how to keep everybody's audio going during this live stream, but I still have no idea how to turn other extra audio on. So folks on the podcast right now, you're hearing this song that Andrew is gonna recommend. But folks who are watching it live, just pretend with your imagination, okay? I'm Andrew, what, imagination. What, what tune uh, have you been hip to lately?
3: All right, so yeah, I've uh, we have we have show notes. I've, I've put two recordings in the show notes of things that I've been listening to. And uh, the first one is just that I have this Herbie Hancock record. Uh, it's Man Child. Uh, and it starts out with that tune, Hang Up Your Hang Ups. And it's just uh, pretty much like the grooviest tune i've ever heard in my life (laughs) um and i don't have like you know uh, i'm sure that everyone else when they bring these tunes they say this ties into this thing that i've been talking about in the whole podcast i don't have any for this one don't give this this podcast too
0: much credit andrew Uh, that doesn't happen (laughs) uh
3: yeah uh that's what well anyways yeah I, i just like this tune it's uh uh I like listening to it. Uh, That's the whole thing. Um, You
0: you know, you talked about the jazz, jazz tune, but you also had another tune on there. You want to talk about that? Yeah.
3: So then uh, I've put, I've put the second, uh, the second recording on here and I guess I didn't really talk about this much yet. So I'll uh, I'll put, I'll say a lot of things really fast. Uh, (laughs) The main thing that I think that uh, for me is something that jazz musicians do that classical musicians need to do better is uh, st- like study recordings, um, and, or at least classical saxophonists. I'm not. I can't speak to uh, actual classical musicians, um, but <laughs> I know that uh, uh, saxophone doesn't count. Uh, classical saxophonists, at least in my in my experience, uh, you know, I didn't really start really really digging into and like transcribing recordings until. Uh, my graduate studies with Dr. Rumble uh, at Youngstown State. And so uh, this recording that I've put up is a recording of Pablo Casals playing uh, an Allegro by Schumann. Um, and I know that this is the jazz podcast. I'm sorry, it's not <laughs> jazz music. This is uh, this is classical music. But I just think that this recording has so much, uh, I don't know, Pablo Casals is an amazing musician, and he's kind of an old man in this recording and you can hear uh, at times, you know, imperfection, but there's uh, so much uh, melody, you know? Uh, There's He handles melody so well and like, I've learned a lot personally just transcribing this tune as a classical musician and then, uh, you know, just playing it that way. And I think that's one of the transcribing the great performances of classical music and their, their tone, the articulations, the, uh, the way that they handle phrasing. This is, these are all things that jazz musicians do every day and it's pounded into you. It's like the first thing that Jamie Abersalt says in his books. It says, you gotta listen. If you don't listen, you're not a jazz musician. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd have seen no reason the classical musicians shouldn't be doing exactly the same thing. Um, I love that. I've been digging into Jamie Abersalt has this Uh, This is a plug for Jamie Abersold. He's a great guy. Uh, (laughs) I want everybody to know, Jamie Abersold, uh, awesome guy. Do not know the negatives that were said about Jamie Abersold. Absolutely. uh, um, Anyways, he's got this big list in here of essential discography, (laughs) this gigantic (laughs) list of excellent recordings. I've I've never seen (laughs) anything (laughs) like that in the (laughs) classical world. You know, you don't see like here's all the the essential discography you know like uh, I don't know and, right. and I'm I'm so uh, not well educated on this that I can't even make up a fake essential discography <laughs> for classical saxophone, you know uh, yeah, right, right. And, and it's something that we should have you know yeah. we, we can't be coming out all the, all these classical musicians coming out of school and it, we aren't listening to the same people but we're on the same thing every jazz musician has heard blue train yeah. you know uh and every jazz musician has heard uh something else you know um that's such a good point culture right yes. exactly yeah.
1: uh, there's a so, culture it's a vernacular kind of music so half of what you half of what you do in jazz comes through your ears yeah. so mm-hmm. it's a, it's a it's a different approach just like you're saying andrew yes yes
3: any amount that that people say that classical music is something that's sterile or, you know, like uh, uh, eye-based music instead of ear-based music, I think is all because of this. Is because we do all our learning Good. by looking at notes and then trying to play them and not thinking about them as sounds. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's awesome. my soapbox. So if I'm going to challenge all of our uh, closeted classical musicians listening <laughs> to this podcast, uh, it's to take this recording of uh, – Casals playing this Schumann uh, Adagio and Allegro. Uh, I, I just put the Allegro on here. It's probably what you're listening to. It's what I linked, Corey. But the Adagio is great too. Just transcribe it, and then the nice thing about old classical music is you can just go on IMSLP and you can see all the notes. Uh, and so then you can check, check yourself. If, and if you don't want to, if you don't want to have to learn the notes by ear, then. look at the music it doesn't matter as long as you're learning it by listening to the recording
0: well Um, i hate to cut you off we are down to our last minute as you can tell the zoom police are here they're they're here to round us up uh before we quit and finish our show want to give a quick shout out uh jazz arts group is doing a live stream this thursday with the hunter tones one of my favorite groups and great musicians it should be a great live stream there can't wait to see that Uh, And next week, folks, uh, for those who have watched our live stream series, we're going to be joined by my good friend and marketing director of the New Albany Symphony, Lane Champa, to talk about live streaming and kind of what that culture is bringing and what should change about it for musicians and kind of audience members. So, Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Andrew, for having an awesome show. I so appreciate it. You guys take care. And uh, Jay, of course, I'll see you again next week for Jay and May. And Andrew, hopefully in the next uh, few weeks, we can maybe get you back on and talk some more. That'd be awesome. I'll talk as much as you want me to. (laughs) You guys are awesome. Everybody stay classy. As always, don't go insane in your house. See you later.